Excellent. Good to see everyone. Sweet time of prayer, as always. Lovely, lovely. And uh, give that reminder to anybody who wasn't here at prayer. Dan and Ava have made it to Tunisia. So praise God for that. Pastor David is in the air as we are talking right now. So keep him in prayer and continue to pray for that conference. Um, And particularly be in prayer. The teachings are the 9th through the 11th. So be praying those days for the heart, souls, and minds of everyone that's going to be in, ten- in attendance, conversations in between, prayers in between, Holy Spirit filling all parties involved. Pastor David surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that he can have his way in what needs to be done there. And also just reminding us, keep in prayer for the other side of it when they get back, but for the seeds that are planted, that the fruit is born for that. As you know, we are continuing in the book of Psalms tonight, and it's quite a journey as we go through Psalms, and I don't know about anybody else, but the more you go through Psalms, the more it really has me personally thinking of my entire prayer and praise life in such a deep way, and it's it's a chance to do that, and as I've said before, it's a chance to look at one person's life, David, and to see the consistencies, and that also can bring some conviction when we see the inconsistencies that may be lacking within our own prayer and praise time. And I want to remind us, because right now, so many that we've looked at have been by David, right? No, no, 73 of the 150 are. Remember, David went through many trials. Remember, David had much suffering, much trial, much persecution, many ups and downs, grievous sin. You know, the sins of our culture today where you're like, oh, you're a real sinner. No, I mean, we know where sin is judged. But real sin, and when we look at his life, nothing about it was perfect. And he was always steadfast looking to the Lord. Always steadfast looking to the Lord, seeking to know him more, seeking to trust him more. And I just pray that as we begin tonight, let us seek that heart to be yielded, to be trusting our King, more and more and more. And let us be open to what the Lord might reveal to us tonight, what he may lay on your heart in conviction, that he can refine you, that he can have you grow for his purposes, for his namesake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. It is just something to give you praise for time and time again, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study through the book of Psalms, Lord, and to see praise and worship, Lord. Help us, Jesus, to be a people who pray from our heart unto you, who worship you, Lord, who seek to know you more, who seek to dwell in your presence, Lord. Heavenly Father, teach us what it is to wait on you, to trust in you, to have confidence in Christ alone. Illuminate this psalm to us, Lord God, that we would be closer to you through the manna of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week with Psalm 26, we explored this idea of what are your eyes? And if you remember that, we saw in that psalm, I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. I have walked in your truth. I have not sat, nor will I go. I hated. We saw David say, I will wash my hands. We saw him say, I will go to your altar that I may proclaim. I have loved. I will walk. I will bless the Lord. David 
amidst all of this is going through and continually seeking the Lord, the Lord, and knowing there's one deliverer, God. And in that, we have to remember, do you as David is in danger, in trials, when you're in danger, in trials, do you go to the soul deliverer? And I would spell soul in that question, S-O-U-L. I know we can think soul, the one and only, but do you go to the soul deliverer? Because if your soul is delivered, you're under the one and only who can give immediate and eternal deliverance. And it's that eternal that matters most. In that psalm of last week, we saw a lament psalm. We saw where David looks unto the Lord and he clearly, prayerfully separates himself from the wickedness. And we see in Psalm 1, the walk, stand, sit. We brought that back to look at that. We have to ask ourselves when we see that, are you willing to be separate for God's glory? Or do you seek to fit in amidst the world? How's your walk going with that? Because in our culture right now, where with social media and all these things, our lives are so public. Are you willing to truly walk for the Lord? Or are you like, ah, I've got to fit in. I don't want to look too Christian. Where are you with that? Charge check-in. One, what are your I statements before the Lord our God? Did you take time to go through that? If I went around right now, could everybody give me one? Give me one. Give me one. Not tell them to do that. But could you do that? Did you go through and think through, what are my I statements? Only one who's going to have to do it is Jay, and he knows why from last night. It's a joke. Two, how is your private worship life? How is that going? How's your private worship life? How's your private time seeking to be in his presence? Seeking his glory? How are you preparing your heart, mind, and soul for corporate worship? What's your Sunday morning look like? Is it just hasa basal up and here we go, boom? Or is it prayerful? Is it going to his presence? Is it saying, Holy Spirit, fill me anew that I have eyes to see what you need me to do in your body of believers? Because we're called to come together. We're all called to serve. We're all called to be his hands and feet. Three, any bribes in the way with deeper communion with God? Are there any things that have been let in? Are there any bits that go? We saw the mention of bribery of the wicked, and we could have just seen that and said, I don't need to worry about that. I don't do that. But if we think about the fact, sin is accepting a bribe from the enemy. So are there any bribes that have crept in or need to move out? So that's where we were last week. If you didn't do your homework, shame on you. Do it this week. I'm kidding. But get it done this week. And now let's delve into Psalm 27 tonight. The title of tonight's message with Psalm 27 is Faithful Waiting. Faithful Waiting. In Psalm 27, we get a psalm of trust. We get a psalm that reveals a great anthem of praise. The title, we see it's a psalm of David. We've seen this many times now. We don't know the exact timing. If you go to the Septuagint, you do see a note in there that actually says before he was anointed. So some will point that this was written, perhaps he did this before he was king. This maybe took place when King Saul was persecuting him and seeking to attack him, and he was in exile at that time. Now in this psalm, David affirms the reality of life with God, life in God. 
David shows that he has no fear of his enemies because God's presence is there. He shows that he desires to live in one place, the presence of God. He affirms his praise in God. He offers a prayer to God, after affirming it, we're going to see, to remain in God's presence and expectantly awaiting to be in his presence. And he prays to continue trusting God even in the midst of the stress of his life. And that's a question we have to ask yourself because what are your prayers in stress? What are your prayer? What's your prayer life like in stress? Because we're all good when everything's rocking and rolling, but it's when the water gets turned up, it's when things go awry, what's it really look like? What's it really look like? I still, a memory, and I think the Lord uses kiddos, I'm learning more and more as a parent, to truly remind you of many things. And I remember when we had that last storm, and it was really bad, and power goes out in the house, and before we could even have a reaction, Baldrick just starts going, when all I see is a battle. I'm like, yeah, man, that's what we do. We worship. Game on. And we just had worship night. And it's that reminder from him. And it was such a blessing. What do we do when something stressful goes awry? What do we do? And in this, we're going to see this psalm end with a word of instruction to the congregation around him. But it's also a word of instruction to you. It's a word of instruction to me, to everyone who reads. Now, before we begin this, I want to remind us of the word of God, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Are you willing to let the word of God be that for you? Tonight, I encourage us, read that verse before you come to the doors of this church every time. And pray, Lord, let your word be that. Let your word right now discern my thoughts. Let your word discern the intents of my heart. Because Psalm 27, to put that in action tonight, we're going to be forced with this psalm to look in the mirror as to where our confidence is placed and how our confidence is in God. Psalm 27 is going to expose where our faith and trust really are. How so? Like I said, when it's easy, we're good. God's good all the time. We're good. We're happy. Everything's great. And then things get hard. And then what do you live by? Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? It's often in our fear, our panic, our friends, our phones. And in our culture today, and then it adds these labels, my anxiety, my depression, my, 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 my. And I'm like, how about my savior? How about my king? Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? To walk in faith and trust, it's tied to what we saw in John this past weekend, where the brothers were trying to tell him, go on this timing, do it like this. Show it, prove your way. And we see all these people questioning, but it's about God's sovereignty And it's about our obedience. In that sovereignty, confidence and trust and faith means his timing. And to that prayer we're praying, it means his answer. Doesn't mean we get what we want. Contrary to what some may be preaching right now somewhere else, you can't tell Jesus what to do. You can ask, you can plead, but you can't say, I declare now it's done. Who are you? You're not God. So you've got to rest to his sovereignty. You have to trust God. You have to wait. And guess what? That's a discipline that
that has to be built. And you've got to build that discipline in the good times so that that discipline is built for the hard times, for the difficulties, for the hardships that will come to trust in God and wait is built when our priority is in Christ alone. It's built in the practice of resting in his presence, of truly going before him and resting in his presence. Ask yourself something right now. Where is my time spent? Ask that question to yourself. Where's my time spent? If we took a log of your thoughts from the moment you woke up today till now, and I emailed it out to everybody using Realm, what would the church learn about you? What would we learn? I just got some looks. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. What is the looks I got? What is your deepest desire in this moment? What's your deepest desire? Earlier today, what was your deepest desire? Was it work that had to get done? Was it John, why don't you shut up? Was it a drink? Was it going for a hike? Was it the word of God? Was it this car that's going so slow on 40? Why don't you move over to the right lane? I don't care that there's the bumps, get in the right lane. What was it that was your deepest desire? Because as we look at our text, through David's confident faith, we have to be willing to allow God tonight to search our hearts and to see where there may need to be shifts. So let's dig in. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So the psalm starts right away with the covenant relationship, the Lord, right off the bat. And it's interesting because it makes me wonder, and we have to think, when you say God, when you say the name of the Lord, are you starting in your heart from that place of your relationship and unity and covenant with God? Are you starting in that place? The Lord is, one, my light, and two, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, three, the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So there's three attributes that are hit right away there. Light, salvation, strength. And as we look at these, we're reminded with the first one, light. Ridding anxieties, ridding danger. It's the first time in the Old Testament that we see God referred to as light. It's the first time that we see this. It's one of those circles. First time. First time we see light. If we think about the book we're in right now, John, we know John 1.5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John 1.5, pointing to Jesus. We know in John 1.9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The true light, talking of Jesus. But here we see David knowing, he is my light. Then we see him say, he is my salvation. The soul deliverer. The soul S-O-L-E, the soul S-O-U-L. The soul deliverer. Immediate delivery and eternal delivery. Then we also see the Lord is my, is the strength of my life. Strength, safety, security, refuge. Think of who's saying that. David had some skills. David had some strength. But notice he doesn't say the Lord is something else that he puts in and doesn't go there with strength because it's about his strength. No, he knows point blank, there's one source of my strength, God. And we, full counsel word of God, have to remember that. When we look at the battle that we're in 
and we're realistic about the fact it's a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6, before the armor of God comes, Ephesians 6.10, we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Before we're given the armor, we're told before you do anything, you've got to be strong in the Lord and the might, it's got to be His. And that means it's not our wisdom It's not our friends, it's not our resources, it's not our research, it's not our experience, it's not our bank account, it's not our whatever you want to insert. It's God's strength. And that's something we have to look at. Is God's strength the strength that I rely on? Or do I rely on me? And in the midst of this, he's saying, whom shall I fear, of whom shall I be afraid? He's rooted in the Lord as light, salvation, and strength. So he's not going to be shaken. But where are you with that rooting? And where are you with where your strength comes from? Because when he's solely rooted in the Lord, God, guess what? There's no fear. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Those are his names for the king. What are your names for your king. What are your names? I'm going to go through. I, I, I took time to just think through what are different names that I would be able to insert here. Adam, because he's the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Advocate, 1 John 2, 1. I'm going to go through these quicker. If you want them all, ask me later. Almighty, Revelation 1, 8. Alpha and Omega, Revelation 1, 8. Amen, Revelation 3, 4. Apostle and high priest of our profession, Hebrews 3.1, arm of the Lord, Isaiah 51.9 and 59.4, author and finisher, uh, yes, 54.1, sorry, author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12.2, author of eternal salvation, Hebrews 5.9, beloved son, Matthew 12.18, bread of life, John 6.32, captain of salvation, Hebrews 2.10, chief, shepherd, 1 Peter 5.4, with everything going on, consolation of Israel, Luke 2, 25. Counselor, Isaiah 9, 6. Creator, John 1, 3. Deliverer, Romans eleven twenty-six. 26. Everlasting Father, Isaiah 9, 6. First and last, Revelation 1, 17. Good Shepherd, John 10, 11. Head of the church, Ephesians 1, 22. I am, John 8, 58. Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14, God with us. Jehovah, Isaiah 26, 4. The just one, Acts 7, 52. Lamb of God, John 1, 29. The life, John 14, 6. Lord of lords, 1 Timothy 6, 15. Mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Messiah, John 1, 41. Mighty God, Isaiah 9, 6. Morning star. Revelation 22:16, our Passover, 1 Corinthians 5:7, resurrection and life, John 11:25, rock, 1 Corinthians 10:4, root of David, Revelation 22:16, savior, Luke 2:11, the true vine, John 15:1, truth, John 24:6, word, John 1:1, 1, 1, word of God, Revelation 19 13. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who is the Lord to you? Do that exercise. Who is the Lord to you? Put down who the Lord is to you. The Lord is my. That's the list I wrote down. And then where is it actually? Go through that. Do that exercise. Have the list of who he is to you. That you don't think of the fear of the circumstance at hand. You don't think of the fear of the present moment. You don't think of the fear of the shame that the enemy tries to condemn with the past. You don't think of the fear of the future. How am I gonna? You focus on God alone. That's the intimacy that David has revealed in this first verse. And in intimacy, we get deeper. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Stand on that truth. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Do you remember that? In the midst of the storm, do you remember He's interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Then we get this beauty. For I am persuaded That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who is God to you? Go and look at the intimacy that you can have with him, that you can say, whom shall I fear? What shall I be afraid of? There's the gospel song that starts this, the Lord is my light, salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know, when I see your bopping. There, there, there's ways. Find a song that puts the, the scripture to melody for you. So you learn it. You write it on your heart and anchor and stand true on it. Who is the Lord to you? Then now we go to verse 2. And David gives us a dive of how he's feeling in this moment. What's going on? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Look at how he describes his enemies like ravenous animals. Eat up my flesh. My enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Praise God. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Notice the stakes are not low when we see how David describes this. They're want to eat up his flesh. They want to, an army wants to encamp him. War wants to rise against him. This is intense. This is high stakes. No fear. Trust in God alone. He says, it may come. In this I will be confident. My heart shall not fear. And that's an important word choice there. The God is intentional in every word. My heart Because the heart that is his need not fear. We looked before this at that reverent awe, having a healthy dose of reverent awe in the Lord that we don't walk about in fear. 
David is stating in the midst of this all, no fear, God alone. How about you, New Testament saint, with the whole counsel of the word of God? Is it Christ alone? We sing that song in Christ alone. Is it truly Christ alone for you? We see in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and we see in Acts 13, 22, that he is a man after God's own heart. That's how David is described, a man after God's own heart. How did he do that? What does it look like to be a man after God's own heart? Verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What does it look like? It looks like God's presence. If we see this, one thing, David in the midst of all of this, you saw what he just laid out, armies, everybody coming against him, torture, misery, horror, one thing that I desire of the Lord. He's saying, there's one thing I want, God, personal covenant name. There's one thing that I seek, and really it's a three-in-one, one that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. So he's shifting. We see the this, this celebration, the declaration of all the anchoring he has, and now he's contemplating. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to behold, too, the beauty of the Lord. And three, I want to inquire. I want to ask things of the Lord in his temple. Now, this physical temple isn't built. This is being in his presence. David gets to that desire. The only thing that his desire is the presence of the Lord with the old covenant. What's our excuse with the new covenant? What's our excuse? To have anything be desired more than the presence of the Lord. If God said to you, ask me one thing, whatever you want, I will grant to you right now. Would your answer be to be in your presence forever? Or is there something else that would have come? Well, it's really important because Susie really needs or I really want to see this person or da-da-da. Would it be enough to just be in his presence? There's a Chuck Smith quote that's tied to this verse. Always touches me when I walk through our sanctuary in the middle of the day and see people reading their Bibles or praying and seeking the Lord. It's beautiful to see people who love to be in God's presence. It's a lost art today. When I read that, I said, the concept of this sanctuary being open in the middle of the day so people could come pray. People don't have time. We're very busy. We don't have time. I don't have time to go sit in a room and pray. I have work. I have people that I have to go see. I have a job. I have this. I have that. I got to go see this. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. We've lost that. Our nation used to, at one point, have a time where Sundays was church, Sports weren't scheduled for kids on Sundays. Wednesdays, families would gather. They'd go to church. Sunday, the day would really be church. And evening service, Sunday school. And we've moved so far away from that. It's an inconvenience. I'm busy. It's the only night. You don't understand. I have kids. We come up with all of these different things. And I'm not, I want to be clear, this isn't a shame on everyone this is just a perspective to realize one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. How is your desire to be in his presence? Do you have the discipline of just saying, Lord, I just want to sit before you right now. Speak to me, Lord. And just rest. Five minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. Do you have that discipline? Do you have the discipline of Bible and prayer? That idea, you know, I believe if believers get together, the word of God should come up and prayer should happen. That's a personal belief. And the church I got saved in, Calvary Hudson Valley, got to live that. And let me tell you what an anchor that was for me as a new believer. Because I remember getting invited to things and the first times I would go, I didn't really know how it worked. And I'd show up and I'm like, whoa, everybody's got their Bible. We're not a church. I don't get what's going on. Oh, we're going to, every single time. So finally I just learned, okay, if I'm meeting people, I got to have this with me because we're going to talk about it. You're going to say what you read. You're going to say what you read, what the Lord is teaching you. We're going to pray for one another because we want to be in his presence. And saints, I, I charge us, we got to pray for that discipline to come back. People keep saying revival, revival. I got a phone call. We're planning a day of revival at uh, one of the local colleges. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. Let's just have revival within the church. Let's start with that prayer for people's hearts to desire. How do I get to just sit in his presence? And that's communion with the Holy Spirit. That's being quiet. Because being in his presence, being in his glory, part of that is not sitting with the list of your needs. It's not sitting with your agenda of what you're going to read and what you're going to do. Not knocking those things. But it's saying, Lord, I'm here. Search me. Try me. Speak to me. Convict me. Refresh me. Then be quiet. Just listen. I think the enemy is having a field day in our culture because the body of Christ does not have the discipline of silence. The body of Christ has lost the discipline of silence. We no longer know how to be still and know that he is God. Because let's be real. If your phone's with you, raise your hand if you think once or twice. If, oh, is anybody calling me? Oh, I got, you leave a room. What do you do first? What do you check? Check your phone. Did anybody call me? Did anybody text me? Did anybody message me? We're so connected to everything but God. Build that discipline back. And then David gives us the fruit of that discipline. Verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Being in God's presence results in security and safety. David couldn't get to where he is being hid in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. Think of how intimate that is. Nothing's built yet, so think of how intimate that is to be in that presence before his glory. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock because God is protecting me. God is my refuge. He is my fortress. Worry, stress, fear, doubt, 
chaos, all the things that can come, only one source of peace, Jesus. But do you practice silence in his presence? Do you practice going before him, seeing what he would have for you? Then we see verse 6 going on with what happens in this. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Notice something important here. The enemies don't disappear. With my enemies all around me, they don't disappear. The battle is real, saints. It's a spiritual battle. The enemy is going to keep doing, whoop, whoop, whoop. Can I get you? How can I get you? How can I get you? But it's resting in his presence, communing in his word, resting with him, that then now your head lifts up. There's no fear. There's no shame. There's no dejection. There's no condemnation. There's knowing where I stand on the great I am, the rock of salvation. The Lord is my true vine. The Lord is my word. The Lord is my counselor. The Lord is my mighty God. The Lord is my light, my salvation, the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? We've got to get personal with who the Lord is to us. Then he goes on to say, therefore, because of who he is, the intimate relationship that I have with him, the refuge I have, because David at this point has already experienced countless times of God delivering him from woes, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Praise offerings that he's offering to celebrate what he's done, who he is. And guess what? Those praise offerings are done in public. Public. The true presence of God casts out that fear. What will they think? It casts out that fear. Well, I don't want to you know, walk into the coffee shop holding my Bible. Then people will see me and they'll know I'm a Christian. What will they think? I'll get a book that doesn't look like a Bible. No. That fear, that insecurity that we can have, the enemy has a field day with it. Think of your journey in the last week. If we go up to somebody who saw you randomly, would they know you love Jesus? Or would they just say, oh yeah, I saw that guy. What about him? Does your life radiate being in his presence, having been before him? Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read, we're going to go through, clock is against me right now. We're going to go through some of this chapter. So we see Peter and John, they get arrested in the beginning of this chapter. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Then it comes to them and they say, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then verse 8, Peter Emphasize here, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not filled with self, not filled with own strength, filled with the Holy Spirit, who we need to commune with again, brothers and sisters. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under which heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boom. Filled with the Holy Spirit points to Jesus alone. I think this is a great message for Christian culture. We've got to get rid of the celebrity pastor vibe and just focus on Jesus. I don't want to know who your favorite pastor is that you listen to. I want to know that you love Jesus. I want to know that your favorite is the word of God, Jesus. That's who we listen to. And then we see verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They were in the presence. We know this. They were in the presence of God. They beheld the glory of God. When we're in his presence, when we behold his glory, and when we let his spirit fill us, a boldness comes forth, and our witness, the way we speak, the way we live, may people know that lady was just with Jesus. That lady knows the Lord. May they know for his glory. Notice it's not about them. What did their conduct point the people to know they were with? Jesus. Then we go on. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their companions, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Very important. And said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your words by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice the prayer. It's about Jesus. It's about his word going forth. It's about him, him, him. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the Greek there for boldness means telling it all. There's nothing that was here. There was no fear because they've been in his presence. They've been before him. They've been with him. It's the second half of verse six in our text. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He's been in the presence of the Lord. He has that boldness. He can go forth, David, and he will sing. And as we sing, it reminds him of who the Lord is. That's why we worship saints. Reminds us of who he is. Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas. What do they do in the trial? They sing. They sing hymns. Worship, wait, be worry-free, repeat. Worship, wait, worry-free. It's a nice cycle. It's like the rinse, repeat. Worship, wait, worry-free. That's what we need to do. God's presence bears boldness. Then when we see, he now moves to his prayer. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. David here makes it clear it's not going to be easy. It's not like he's gone through this declaration. He sees us all. He knows who God is, but it's not like he says, so I don't have to worry. It's all cake. He says, Lord, I'm still human. It's going to be hard. 
have mercy on me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. God calls us to seek his face. God calls us to hunt for him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we see without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not just those who seek him. Diligently. Diligent means that you're going through every facet and means. Which means you're seeking that time in his presence. Do you seek our king face to face? Are you seeking him face to face? Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. He recalls the deliverance the Lord has done. He recalls who the God is. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. It's the God of his salvation because he's seen him deliver him time and time again. Memorialize the victories the Lord has given you. That you remember them. Verse 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. He sees the everlasting love of him. This is a proverbial statement. He's not saying, my parents forsake me. This is the fact that if you think of a parent's love, they know, they care, they provide. There's both of them present in this, father and mother. He's saying, your love is beyond that, paternal love. The love of God surpasses all other love. And from that awareness, he then says to the Lord in prayer, teach me your way, O Lord. Because he anchors and realizes with the old covenant, this is where, I don't know about anyone else, looking at David, I'm mesmerized. Like you didn't even have Jesus on the scene. (laughs) We've got Jesus. What's our excuse? No Jesus on the scene. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Notice he doesn't say lead me in an easy path. He just wants a smooth path. Look at the last verse of our psalm from last week. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. It's just about the fact that if the Lord's in control and my eye's on him and I'm going, it's a smooth place because I know who's in control. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean they're not going to still throw darts, but I know who's in control. Then he says, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. So he points to what they're doing. He points to what's going on. The adversaries are still there. They're rising. They, have, they try to slander him. They try to go for the reputation. It's that reminder, folks, enemies are going to be present. The tactics, we got to know the tactics are going to be there. Let it be left to God. Because there's one enemy we really know. Be sober, be vigilant. But when the enemies are coming, who do you turn to? Self or God? And David has a real moment here. In verse 13, he says, I would have lost heart. He owns the fact. Without God as an anchor, no hope. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why doesn't he lose hope? Eternal life. I know I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What about us, saints? We have promises from him to hold on to. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
our light, our salvation, our strength? Do you look to eternity? We've talked about that eternal mindset. Are you looking to that? Are you holding to that? And are you remembering that there's one true vine, the Father's the vine dresser, and that we need to abide in him? Because the only way we can do all of this is being in his presence, abiding, clinging to him, realizing apart from him, I can do nothing. So I need Jesus. I need my one desire to be dwelling in his house forever. The beauty, seeing the beauty of the Lord. Picture that, brothers and sisters. That's, that's pondering and meditating. Take that, do that tonight. Go home and just sit and ponder the attributes and the beauty of our Lord and the refuge and peace that we have in that. That's how David is able to do this. If you feel hopeless, the enemy has got you in that place where I feel hopeless, check your presence of God barometer. Check your presence of God barometer. Are you spending time in the presence of God? And it's going to look different in different seasons of life. Only the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will show you what it looks like in your season of life that you're in right now. But are you spending that time? And then we get the final verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We see here at the end, he gives this to the congregation that's present that this song would have been sung around. It's to you, it's to me. Wait on the Lord. Do you do that? And when we wait on the Lord, I want to be clear, it's not a wait where it's like, okay, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm going to do nothing. I'm waiting. No, that's not waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is waiting with an expectant heart, seeking his word, seeking his will, seeking his presence, seeking his glory, seeking to praise him, seeking to worship him, seeking to know him more and more and more and more and wait for him to reveal his timing and his way and his answer. That is waiting on the Lord. And as you do that, be of good courage. Why can I be of good courage? Because you have the promise he's going to strengthen your heart. Emotion, intellect, will lies within that heart. And he's going to strengthen that, that it's in tune and in line with him. When we look at the John 15, that portion of scripture that has the abide in me, the end of it in verse 7, we see, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. And in Christianese, somebody says something they're going for or they want or they're praying. Well, you know what what Jesus says, ask in his name, abide in him. You got it. It's done already. It's done, boo. You do it. It's done. And it's like, well, let's hold up for a second, everybody. Let's hold up for a second. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's a deep communion, which means what you're asking going to look a lot more like that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Your ask is going to look a lot different because anything that you really want to ask doesn't matter in light of eternity. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You want a victorious life? You want victory now? You want prosperity now? Surrender in his presence and relish in eternity. doesn't mean we don't live now, we glorify the Lord, we seek to do things, but nothing here should matter more than forever. Because how long is eternity? Forever. Charge. One, 
What is your desire? And with that, get real and pray. Ask the Lord to help you shift that your one desire would be verse 4 of our text, which we saw. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. One thing he's seeking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Two, how is your discipline of being silent in the presence of God? Can you take time this week, go before the presence of God, dwell in his presence, say, search my heart, speak to me, search me, fill me with your spirit, and then stop talking. And if you're from the Northeast, that's going to be hard, but you can do it. Just stop talking. And three, memorize verse 14, which is, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, and then be bold enough to ask the Lord, What area in my life do you want me to apply waiting on you? Because you may find there's areas where you're not waiting on the Lord. Because sometimes we pray, and then we've finished, and then it's, well, I'm just going to do this because i got to get it done. i got to go. It's it's February 7th. I don't have time anymore. i got to get it done. Wait on the Lord. The bookends of this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh and my enemies and the foes, they stumbled and fell through an army uh, and camp against me. My heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. He's so anchored in him because it's living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord, I say. Charge, one, again, what is your desire? Two, how's your discipline of being silent in God's presence? Three, memorize verse 14 and ask the Lord, where do I need to wait better? Now, we're a few minutes over. Are you willing to do one more thing before we call it a night? Are we okay? Are we okay? Um, I want to have us listen to a song of Psalm 27. And as you listen, it's in a different translation, but follow along with your translation and let it just be a time of really hearing the word of God. Feel like singing in part of it, sing. If you feel like praising within it, praise, whatever. But see what the Lord would give you because we've just gone through, we've looked at it, we've talked about it, I've given what the Lord laid on my heart to share and now let's hear the word itself. And just hear what it is. So can you hit hit that flight? 